0: This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Sign up for a membership now and claim your free audiobook at Audiblepodcast.com forward slash escape pod.
1: Escape Pod 405. July 18th, 2013. The Scheduled Roll by Alex Wilson.
0: Robot lady. Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, the weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Alistair, the British host whose job it is to point at the big scary map and explain how much trouble we're all in. Seriously, it's pretty much a cottage industry over here. If you don't believe me, go watch Pacific Rim, firstly because it's ace, and secondly because the British guy is just there to point up blackboards and say how screwed we are. It's great. Our story this week comes to us from Alex Wilson. Alex is a writer of prose and comics. And an actor as well, and his website is at alexwilson.com forward slash writer. Give it a look, he's got some great stuff up there. But before you do, get ready, because the grown-ups are talking. And now it's your chance for story time.
1: Vestigial Girl by Alex Wilson The cartoon butterflies were sleeping along the pushlight nursery wallpaper as Charlene fumbled with her cradle's locking mechanism, using fingers too large and uncoordinated for anything so practical. She blinked away the fuzziness at the low light, clearing her eyes for less than a second, and fought against the calming scent of lavender wafting up through her mattress. She flexed the monster in her throat. She didn't love the feeling, but would miss such control over at least this one part of her body. She heard muffled voices in the next room, beyond the transparent gate of her cradle, beyond the sleeping butterflies. Her fathers were fighting again. They'd forgotten to activate the night muffler to hide the sounds. This was a good thing this night. Of course, they usually didn't check on her again after nine o'clock, but it usually wasn't so important she hear them coming if they did. Six months ago, Charlene had averaged three hours, 44 minutes to open her cradle lock on any given evening. Tonight, it took her only 47 minutes. She wasn't ready to celebrate that her physical development might finally, slowly be catching up with that of her mind. She wasn't sure what that meant yet. She had an idea that it wasn't entirely good news. Again she flexed the monster. She was four years old, and this limited mastery of her throat was still her only material proficiency. The lock clicked. The cradle gate swung gently open. The voices in the next room became louder and clearer. Calm down, Gary. There's still hope. think you'll say that after we've been changing diapers another twenty years. Daddy Oliver was calling Daddy Gary by his given name. That meant he was upset. When they weren't upset, they called each other chum or babe, terms of affection rather than identity. She'd figured all this out on her own, from watching, from listening, from reading. She understood that degrees of isolation and socialization weren't the only indicators of potential, and sometimes her fathers did, too. But could observation without interaction adequately prepare her for life? Could she defeat the monster entirely on her own? By eighteen months, mostly from whispers and entertainment screens and books her father's left active where she could see them, Charlene had identified a few of the big ways she wasn't like others of her age. She was smarter, and could better keep her outward displays of emotion in check. But other than her relationship to the monster, and a small amount of control over the power and timing of her breath exhalations, she was well behind her peers physically, as though her inner and outer development were incapable of progressing at the same time. "'Doesn't make her disabled!' God, I must have been twelve before I could whistle, and even now I can maybe hit half the notes she can. And she reads all the time. For all we know, she just stares at the words until we swipe a new page for her. And I don't know about ascribing too much to the whistling. Maybe she's just doing that instead of crying. Only you could look at these test scores and take it as all bad. Look at this. Factoring out reaction times and fine motor skills, her nonverbal reasoning alone could be suddenly off the charts. Sure. And if you also factor out the Stroop test and ability to recognize her own name, she could be Mensa. God, what's more likely, that she's smarter than either of us, or that the doctors are as clueless as we are? And maybe, just maybe, those tests only apply to normal girls, and not whatever random input they might be lucky enough to get from her if they wait around long enough. Jesus, Gary! Just don't give up on her, that's all I'm saying. Charlene tumbled out of the cradle. She dropped to the ocean-themed carpet below. It had a pattern like the water's surface, and it responded to the low pushlight of the wallpaper, with the appearance of waves pulsing at twenty-second intervals. It was how she could count time, whenever she could measure by minutes or hours instead of days. The blue-green motif was intended to calm her constant fidgets, she supposed. But if she was right, and if she was successful, she would soon be able to communicate with her fathers in a way they understood. And one of the first things she would tell them how the constant suggestion of moving water all around her encouraged much more frequent peeing, the consequences of which neither she nor they particularly enjoyed. The carpet was soft enough to dampen the noise from her fall, but rough enough to make the skin on her bare legs hot and itchy as she attempted to drag herself to the playford in the corner. She almost wished she had knee and elbow pads made from the same smooth and protective surface material of her diaper. Each arm and leg eventually did her approximate bidding. She just couldn't coordinate them to work in unison. Daddy Oliver had built her fort out of synthetic cardboard shipping boxes. Charlene had torn out a floor piece of the fort, and folded that synthboard panel up into a false wall deep inside her fort against the actual wall of her bedroom. This had taken Charlene nine and a half nights. But even that one-time task was easier than the repetitive practice of forming words with writing utensils. Each time she picked up a crayon it was like learning to hold it anew, and pressing it to a writing surface didn't yet resemble communication, the equal and opposite reaction from the surface was more likely to push the crayon out of her hand. At best, she could make imprecise and meaningless dots and smudges, before needing to pick up the crayon again. And touch screens were even harder. Programmed to intuit the most likely user intention based on gesture, the gap between the user interface's interpretations and her finger movements only added to the broader gap between those movements and her actual intentions. Cracking her cradle lock had been less technically challenging than writing longhand, but Using her tedious, slow facility of freeing herself as a guideline, she guessed it would be another four months at least before she could write her first simple word with any practical speed or consistency, and that all assumed her motor skills would continue to develop through puberty whenever, if ever, that would come. There were no guarantees that any part of her body, neither organ nor appendage, would be immune to obsolescence. Even her father suggested this when they thought she couldn't hear or understand. She was something to be afraid of. Something new. Just thirty-one minutes after escaping the cradle, Charlene pushed at the top of her secret synthboard panel deep inside her fort. Lucky, and luckier still that it popped loose on the sixth try. She reached behind to grab at the three prepared components, two of which she'd wrapped in freezer bags over the course of the last month. She knew she should make a few practice runs with the equipment before going against the monster. She knew her failure to do so had undermined her likelihood of survival. But the growing tightness in her vocal folds, the monster's growing strength, made it worth the risk. If she was to escape the monster's trap, she couldn't take half a year to get good at it, as she had with escaping the cradle. She had to beat it tonight, or it would have her forever. Congratulations, liver! We've created a monster! Charlene's hand slipped on the synth board while working the freezer bags toward her. The side of her chin banged against the floor. This was called hyperbole. It was the most difficult element of her father's speech to identify, and often the most difficult to hear. Irony, sarcasm, exaggeration, hyperbole. Maybe after tonight she'd try them out for herself. She could tell her fathers that it didn't hurt when they said these things. That she knew they didn't mean it. Listen to yourself. You know who you sound like? Not the same thing. Right, now you don't sound like him at all. Yeah, well... Hate on yourself all you want, Gary. She's still our daughter. Doesn't make me my father. Charlene's first bagged component was a barely serviceable endoscope, a bundle of optic fiber with a lens and a light on one end, and a backlit OLED on the other. She'd ripped it from a cheap microscope designed as a science-learning toy after it fell apart in her clumsy hands. It had taken a month to reattach the ink cell battery. (laughs) Months before that, It had taken Charlene just as long to arrange block letters, to form the word tardiloquis on the nursery floor. It was an uncommon and difficult derivative of tardigrade, meaning slow in speech. It only repeated one letter, and she could use the zero on a numbers block for the second O. If one word could demonstrate both an advanced grasp of language and an inability to speak it, she figured that was it. Her fathers had allowed the completed blocks to sit on the carpet for two whole days before they put them away without noticing or even acknowledging the word. Smaller words, arranged in weeks, then eventually mere days, also failed to impress her fathers or even get their attention, and she couldn't form them into phrases fast enough between room cleans. This would be the third time Charlene had half swallowed the endoscope's lens to get a look at the monster. She'd rinsed the endoscope as best she could before each previous exploration. The last time, she'd used near-scalding water before placing it into the freezer bag, This weak sterilization attempt, adventuring out into the kitchen in the dead of night, had taken her only six nights, but she still had an itchy minor burn on her forearm thanks to the rush. Okay, so I hear you saying you think we made a mistake. It's perfectly natural to doubt. A mistake? No, using that meth-head surrogate would have been a mistake. What we did was a crime against laws not worth putting into writing because no one thought anyone would ever be so stupid. Hyperbole. Exaggeration. Daddy Gary didn't mean it. The sooner she could ask him to clarify, the sooner he would say so, in certain terms. God, I can't even talk to you! If only that were true. Charlene lay on her belly, tilting her chin up and forward, and sticking her feet out the fort's entranceway. It afforded her the least amount of involuntary movement. There was just enough pushlight coming through the cracks between the synthboard boxes that she could keep time on the patch of carpet where the floor panel used to be. She tore open the endoscope's bag, eleven minutes, and shoved it into her throat, seven and a half minutes. It was a simple motion, and it only took twenty-two failed attempts before she got the device past her teeth and squirming tongue. On the twenty-third try, she was able to pull her hand away quickly enough and not let those fat fingers of hers knock it out of place again. Charlene gagged twice before managing the mild convulsions. She flexed and held the monster in front of the lens. As her tongue continued to try to wrap itself around the endoscope, she got the night's first glimpse of the monster in the backlit OLED. I think we made the best choice we could have, given the information we had. Thank you, doctor. And now she's what, the worst of both of us? God, do you even care? When flexed, the monster was a porous flap of grey meat spidering out across her throat passage at the vocal folds. Charlene didn't entirely trust the color representation of the toy-grade OLED, but she could believe the monster was gray. It looked nothing like the few pictures she'd found or descriptions she'd heard of cysts and other more common throat ailments. It was thin enough for her to wonder where exactly the muscles were hidden. For all the control she had over the sizes and shapes of the holes through which the monster graciously allowed air, perhaps the whole thing was a muscle, strangling her from the inside instead of visibly the way a normal girl might be strangled. When unflexed, the monster disappeared from view, even though she could feel it pressing flat against the point of the V where her vocal folds met. It didn't restrict her breathing, but the way it smothered the surface of the throat had to be what prevented her from controlling the rapid changes in air pressure down there, which was how other children, children who couldn't whistle as she could, generated normal speech. It wasn't until after the last specialist visit that Charlene learned to flex and reveal the monster. From what the doctors had said in front of her, She later guessed that the unflexed monster was indistinguishable from normal tissue, hidden from body scans, as though designed to do so. They thought her inability to speak was a problem of emotional development. Perhaps she should have let herself cry more. She had been trying to be less of a burden. Still, Charlene believed her vocal cords were normal and functioning beneath the monster. She had to believe she was a normal and functioning girl underneath, or at least she could be so once her body finished developing. But she was also sure that the monster was hardening, its muscles strengthening, and if she waited too long to stop it, she was convinced that it would prevent her from ever using them, from ever speaking to her fathers in a language they could understand. Leave the dishes! No, I'll do them! Don't worry about it! I said I'll do them! Jesus! The second bagged component was a sliver of shaving mirror, attached at an angle to the hollow casing of a steel pencil. She'd patterned it after a professional dental mirror. She'd broken both her father's shaving mirrors before identifying a fragment small and safe enough to use. Though the edges were sharper than she would have liked, and it was the most difficult to assemble originally, this component was the easiest of the three to position once she got it out of the bag, twelve minutes, and beyond her lips, five minutes. She inserted it past her teeth and let the mirror end simply slide toward the back of her mouth. She remembered the proper position by the specific discomfort of the placement, tickling but not quite triggering her gag reflex. Just six small nudges and it nestled into the right spot. Have you calmed down? I'm calm. You don't look calm. Would you rather I be calm or look calm? The third and final component was a small laser about the size of her fist. It was the heart of a kitchen toaster slicer with the protective casing and mirrors removed. Charlene had spent three days disconnecting a wire without permanently damaging the machine. Then she waited until her father's tossed the whole thing in the disposal, before stealing it away into her fort. It had been the longest, most physically exhausting night of her life, until tonight. She slowly, gently wiggled both herself and the laser into pre-measured places inside the fort, limiting her movement and maximizing the likelihood that any movement she would make would be small and given time to correct her many mistakes, deliberate. She opened her mouth as wide as she thought she could hold it, and aimed the laser approximately toward the center of the mirror at the cusp of her throat. The laser would take ten seconds or so to slice through and gently toast a bagel positioned a few millimeters from the beam source. At a distance of about thirty centimeters, and with the impurities in the mirror, she hoped it would diffract enough that it would require at least a few seconds extra concentration to do more than heat up its target. Charlene counted on this that she would have time to adjust the position of the beam before she cut into the wrong thing. Lying on her belly, Charlene stared forward at the endoscope's OLED. She hadn't the coordination or the skill or even the best tools to defeat the monster. All she had, all she ever had, was endless time alone. She'd done nothing but prepare for this battle for a significant percentage of her life. If she failed tonight, it was because she'd already failed a day or a week or many months ago. She reached for the laser's power button. This would take a while. Look, yes, fine. i do it again, okay? Do what, Gary? Have a child with you. Ours. From both of our DNA. Charlene, yes, knowing the risks. I suppose you think that makes you less of an ass? I was hoping. Almost half her lifetime ago, Charlene had seen an older girl at a support group for parents of cloned dependents. Like Charlene and a few of the other kids at the meeting, this girl had seemed physically undeveloped. Her hair was thin and patchy. She had little apparent control over her motor skills. Still, Charlene had thought this girl interesting, because she had whistled softly throughout the adult's discussion. At first, it had seemed random, as uncontrolled as most of the things Charlene's body did. Then Charlene realized the girl's lips weren't pursed or otherwise positioned to whistle, at least in the ways Charlene understood whistling worked and when the girl caught Charlene's eyes and began to whistle louder, even generating two or three notes at once, Charlene got the impression that this girl was trying to get her attention. Later Charlene learned just how impossible it was for the typical human whistle to produce double stops in the mouth, let alone in the throat. And when later still she learned to flex her own monster and to whistle with just as much complexity, she wished she could go back to that meeting and find out whether this older girl too had a monster and two fathers who argued behind muffled doors. And were there others? Charlene wondered whether her or their ability to hit two or more notes simultaneously meant she could eventually create complex chords. She could imagine using this to communicate with others like herself, individual notes as an alphabet, musical chords and dissonance as words or phrases. She could imagine it might be her responsibility to invent a language. If there were more children out there like them, and if that older girl hadn't started already on developing such a language. How wonderful it would be to talk to someone no matter how much time or effort it took. How wonderful to be part of something. Maybe they weren't even human. Evolution, at least, as she understood, it didn't work that way. It was more random and much slower than that. But maybe they were better than human, and that was the point of all of this, something new in their father's eyes. Foreign, which didn't have to mean grotesque. But Charlene didn't know the older girl's name, or the likelihood she would ever see her again. Could she ask her fathers after tonight? Would her fathers even remember that meeting, one of so many they attended? For that matter, would there no longer be a point in meeting that girl after tonight, after Charlene destroyed her own monster once and for all? Charlene had to work with what she had. Her vocal cords might be trapped beneath the monster, but at least she would get to keep them. On her present course, as a whistler, her normalcy was obsolete, as useless as the human tailbone or the wings of a flightless bird. It was trapped there, to tease her with what she couldn't have. At best, her vocal cords would stay that way, dormant, and the most she could hope for was to become part of the whistling world instead of the world of her father's, unless she did something about it. She did it. She switched on the laser. You mind? I'm reading. You can't read in bed? I'll be there in a minute, babe. Will you check on that thing we created first? The thing... You're right, I I shouldn't have said those things. I, I, I was I was tired. God I did I just shouldn't have. Don't cry, babe. it's okay. I'm sorry. Thank you for for saying so. Will you? Yes, Jesus. Charlene seared the monster near its base. lucky lucky so far. She kept it flexed. In the path of the laser beam, almost colorless and blinding, it was so white and bright, it illuminated her throat in the way the fiber optics and OLED never could, and to add to the confusion created dozens of new shadows to further tax her focus. She could feel her internal temperature rise, either from the heat or the nervousness. She could feel her body wanting, struggling to move. The sizzle inside of her began to drown out most other sound except for the laser's whirr. Never so close to her head, and with nothing else to mitigate it, the toaster laser had never seemed so loud. She was sensitive to the growing dryness in her throat, even as the area around the incision dampened with blood where the laser's heat failed to seal the wound, where Charlene failed to seal the wound. The incision stung, but the pain was more bearable than she expected. To Charlene, this was further evidence that the monster was not a part of her, didn't belong inside her, it smelled like cooking meat, And after everything, that's all it was and ever would be. Chong? I said I'm going! Charlene heard her father's footsteps, and then the door open. She tried to remain still. Just a few more seconds... minutes... hours... and she would completely sever the monster. And then she'd need a few additional to finish heating and closing the wound, and then... Infection... how right or wrong she was about everything in the world... That'd be all she had left to worry about. She became aware at how long she'd been staring at the backlit OLED. She tried to glance away and blink the strain out of her eyes. Then she had to blink again when she saw the nursery light spilling through cracks in the synth-board. Charlene imagined what she must look like, lying on her stomach and legs stuck out of her fort. Would Daddy Gary think she was dead? She didn't dare move with the laser firing down her throat. Char? She remained motionless. The monster bled. Her throat bled. The pain was real now. The monster dangled from less and less flesh. Stinging sweat replaced the strain in her eyes. Char, are you okay? She risked jerking her foot. Luckily, successfully. Very slightly. To tell him, yes, she was okay. She hoped it would be enough. Nothing she could get her body to do was ever enough. Charlene, answer me. Her given name. It didn't always mean anger with her as it did between her fathers, but it wasn't helping. Less than a millimeter of tissue now held the monster to her. She was sure of it. It dangled from the roof of her throat. The bleeding obscured her view, but she was so close she should have just been able to reach in and yank it off if she had smaller hands and any semblance of control over them. The floorboards bent beneath her belly beneath the carpet as her father was surely stepping toward the fort. You stuck in there? Come on out, buddy. And then, the monster fell. It fell loose in her throat. She felt herself convulse in a choke as it pressed against the side of her windpipe. She was almost free, but the monster wasn't finished with her. It wanted to strangle her or drown her in her own blood. Before anything else, she needed to refocus the laser to cauterize the incision, but she had no monster left to flex. Nothing to reposition in front of the laser. She tried to tilt her neck, but her movements were too big and unpredictable. She couldn't even find the beam on the OLED. The laser was missing the mirror entirely. Two hands grabbed her feet. Daddy Gary yanked her out of the fort, gently but quickly. Charlene? Charlene grasped at the laser, bumping it onto its side as her father dragged her backwards. He flipped her over. The monster sank deeper into her windpipe. When her face cleared the fort's entrance, Charlene met her father's wide eyes the hell is that in your mouth oliver get in here she coughed and gagged up blood as her father retracted the stick and endoscope from her throat she felt a slight cut on the roof of her mouth then she couldn't cough anymore the monster was stuck somewhere deep it wasn't going to let her go oh jesus is that blood ollie ambulance call an ambulance i think she swallowed something sharp In a swift move, he stood Charlene upright and squatted behind her. He reached around her abdomen. With the heel of his palm, he pressed inward and upward. Then he repeated the thrust, less gently. Come on! Come on! It wasn't working. The monster had won. Charlene managed to crudely shake her head, but her father was unlikely to recognize it as anything but one of her random spasms. Her father picked her up again. She no longer knew where the monster was inside her body. Inside a lung? But she burned with the realization that she'd lost... She'd never be free. The monster would rather they both die than let her go. Daddy Gary sat his legs out ahead of him. Then he lay her face down over his knee. He gave her a gentle whack on the back, then a harder one. Charlene stared at the floor, at her bent and broken instruments. The sliver of mirror was no longer attached to the steel pencil. Had the adhesive failed inside her throat, she wouldn't even have made it this far. At her father's third whack... The monster came up into Charlene's mouth. It caught between her teeth and tongue. She could feel her mouth working, wanting to re-swallow it on instinct. She forced a cough instead, then a successful spit. And with a wet sound, the monster collapsed to the carpet, smothering the sign language for toddlers OLED book cover of his tablet, which Daddy Gary must have brought into the room with him. If only she could touch and swipe the pages and point at the words that would tell him how sorry she felt, how thankful, how loved... Outside her throat, bloody and naked and piled on the floor, the monster looked like the throwaway stuff her fathers would trim off their chicken before the marinade. It wasn't her. It didn't even look like it was from her. It wasn't a part of this family, and it never belonged inside of her. Charlene's father exhaled forcefully as though he too hadn't been able to breathe for the last few seconds. He tried to nudge her to turn her around on his lap, presumably to get a look at her face she resisted. She held fast, successfully held, to her father's leg, not wanting to let go just yet. She tasted the blood collecting in her mouth, and decided that bitterness was preferable to letting it drain into her lungs. Maybe the blood and the monster made the incision look worse than it was. Maybe if she held on until the ambulance arrived, she would live long enough to speak to her father's. She did feel safe now, safe from the monster, and safe from other whistlers who might be out there who would have preferred she speak their language, instead of the language of her father's. Ambulance is on the way, Daddy Oliver said behind them. And then just as urgently, do I smell something burning? Charlene looked up back at her fort. The laser. She'd forgotten. One of the pieces of synthboard had the words fire resistant printed in small letters somewhere. She was pretty sure it meant something not as good as fireproof, but that was one of those things she couldn't figure out entirely on her own. She didn't want to let go, but she had to. She scrambled off her father's lap. She missed the entrance. She crushed the fort with her body. The collapsing synthboard made it impossible for her to reach in and shut off the laser, but her attempt was enough to get Daddy Oliver to see the light. What the hell? He reached in, found the component, and switched off the laser. Is this some kind of sick toy? No, I've never seen it before. I think it's a thing my sister got her. Yeah, well, I told you it was inappropriate. Charlene coughed up another spurt of blood. She scrambled back into Daddy Gary's lap. Less than twenty seconds, but only because both fathers helped. She knew her throat would take days to heal. Everything would still take days, at least. Even then, if she could avoid infection, and if she hadn't cut too much out of her throat, there was still no guarantee that she'd ever be able to move or speak like a normal person but she gave the latter a try anyway. She knew exactly what to do. She'd studied and planned for this moment longer than for any other. Tentatively pushing air out through her tender and scarred vocal folds, Charlene tried vibrating them until it sounded less like wind and more like a human groan. She pushed more forcefully and eventually got a sound like Ah. Buddy? Buddy? As her fathers waited for the ambulance, they stared, one leaning over the other's shoulder, both half crying and half gaping at their daughter's ability to make a non-whistling sound. Daddy Oliver had wrapped a blanket around Charlene, and she welcomed the extra touch, though she was sweating and unsure of whether she was hot or cold. Both, maybe. The uncertainty about herself and her future was exhilarating. Charlene next tried blocking the airflow through her mouth. She waited until her fidgeting tongue rested momentarily against her front upper teeth. Then eventually she managed to force the tongue to snap down as she made the ah sound again. Twelve seconds, maybe? The result, she hoped, would sound like... Da. Jesus. Did you hear her? Yeah, she was totally talking to me. You wish. Charlene wanted to smile. Maybe that would be her next project. Right now, she would have to start over to say da a second time for her second father. But they were worth the challenge, and generating human speech wasn't nearly as complex as she'd worried it would be. As Charlene waited for her tongue to find its position again, she wondered whether she would miss her whistling ability the one thing she was actually good at, and if she was right about other whistlers being out there, how would she speak to them? Her tongue rested against her upper teeth. She prepared to snap it down. If there were indeed other whistlers, and they were indeed smarter than her father's and other regular people, Why should Charlene have to be the one to figure out how to communicate with them? She could do anything she wanted now. She wasn't her father's monster anymore. She could even stop crying, if she wanted to.
0: Science fiction, at least the science fiction that most people know in the UK, is based on a triad of men. Dandere, Professor Bernard Quatermass, and the Doctor. Each one of them is from an entirely different time. Each one is a product of that time, and each one is a man of peace with an extraordinary intellect, an extraordinary talent for violence, and a tremendous reluctance to use it. All three have something else in common too. They're outsiders. People too clever, or too dangerous, or both. To really fit into the world They deal with this in three entirely different ways too Dare happily accepts a lifetime standing guard For the world he can't quite be part of Quite a mass dedicates his life to building the world Into a better place so that he can maybe fit in And the Doctor throws himself headlong at humanity Because he finds their infectious refusal to give in Completely inspiring Even as Eternity whispers in his ear That every one of his companions is To a being who can live as long as he can Basically already dead They're outsiders, all of them. That idea, that the people outside the usual circles are the ones with the best view, lies at the heart of geek empowerment and, on its bad days, geek entitlement. It's not many steps from no one understands the world the way we do to no one understands the world the way we do and no one but the people we say can stand here. And believe me, that's a place that genre fiction goes to on a basically daily basis right now. The reason why is simple. Outsiders have the best view, outsiders have the best chance, and outsiders aren't part of the pack. They are the cat who walks by themselves. Commander Dare, Professor Quatermass, the Doctor. They are beautiful and unique snowflakes. They, and to the 15 people in the audience who get this, I salute you with my shovel, are Phoenix Dark. Charlene's the same. Brilliant. Driven. Alone. Alone. She is completely aware, to quote St. David of Bowie, of what she's going through and intends to do something about it, and the end result is remarkably pragmatic and grounded. I love how Alex continually plays with the difference between her mind and her body, how frustrated she is and how dangerous, especially to herself. Babies have a near infinite capacity to do stupidly dangerous things, and the context this story provides for that behaviour is so neatly handled and expertly drawn, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few parents glancing nervously at their children tonight and not just to make sure they aren't sticking forks and plug sockets. Again. Because, for all the problems outsiders have, they have one other thing in common. They're tough. I love the ending here, and Charlene's refusal to give any of her fellow whistlers an easy ride. She's got this far in a barely functional body. Why the hell should she help them, too? It's a really smart move that can be read in a number of ways. And the least of which being that Charlene has just learned how to lie to herself. After all she's had a moment of bonding with both her dads and that's difficult to get past especially if your mind and body are in different gears of course the other reading is that Charlene is incredibly advanced to the point where she's got adult intelligence in a child's body which sounds, when you look at it like exactly the sort of enhancement a commander or leader of an invasion force could use maybe Charlene's surgery isn't an act of rebellion maybe it's a final exam Maybe she's exactly where she, and they, want her to be. Just like you're at the point where I inevitably come up with some fairly cack-handed but endearing attempts to inveigle money out of you. Or are you? Ha! No! Twist! Let's talk about Audible. Audible have a huge library of audiobooks of every genre, and it's expanding all the time. Picture Warehouse 13. Without the desultory, slightly grumpily offered six-episode micro-season wrap-up and you're there. Yeah, they are the Warehouse 13 of audible Fiction, and that's a really good thing, because some of the treasures buried in their archives are truly wonderful. For example, I've been listening back to Ancestor, my favourite Scott Sigler book. Opening with a hideous biocontainment accident, the book follows a group of altruistic scientists working for some very far from altruistic men. When things go wrong, because it's a Sigler, face it they always do the survivors are trapped in the middle of a snowstorm and also in the middle of a three way war between their employers the government and the creatures they've grown it's a really fun book massive action movie scale action married to some wonderfully crazy science and memorable characters it's also out through audible now and if you want to you can claim it as your free book just go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash escape pod and sign up just do me a favour Don't listen right before going to bed. So, that wasn't the funding call, but I did use Invegal up there, and that's got to be worth a dollar or two, right? We rely on you to pay our authors and cover our server costs, so if you like this story, please go to Escape Pod and click on the Donate Nator 5000 button. You'll be able to tell it, it's the one that just says Donate. Greetings
1: and salutations, Escapodians. (laughs) Assistant Editor Nathan here. (laughs) with the feedback for episode 401, Growing Up Human, by Claudine Griggs. (laughs) Alright, alright, this was the story of a happy family analogue discovering the joys and trials of being somewhere in the general vicinity of humanity and achieving enlightenment through the koans of famous Zen master Mo Hau (laughs) wa First up, Windup, who said, That being said, I love the back and forth between trying out the human personas of mother figure and resentful teenager then breaking out of those characters for hyper-geeky analysis of the performance, their sense that they were striving for something amazing and wonderful that was just out of reach was as touching as the idea that they could get there by watching the Three Studio's videos was absurd. All told a fun mix. Next in the barrel, Infinite Monkey, who said, This story managed to be sad and funny at the same time. Sad because, well, we're all extinct fairly soon, too. (laughs) And because this is an exercise in futility. (laughs) And funny because, well, it's funny. That's all we have for this week. Come back next
0: week when we give the comments for episode 402, the once-over,
1: and then poke them in the eye. See you then!
0: Next week, we're back with Freya in Sunlight by Greg Bossart. Then, as now, will be a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, Released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No-Derivatives License. Until then, our quote comes from The One Thing It Could. Bizarro Genius Baby, by MC Frontalot. And no quitter was she neither when the time it came to walk. Built an exoskeleton out of gelatin and chalk, which allowed her to run 30 miles an hour around the yard. You think parenting your normal little children is hard? Normal. see you next week. Until then, have fun.